Welcome to the preaching podcast of Poplar Springs Baptist Church in Hiram, Georgia, and the preaching ministry of our senior pastor, Wayne Meadows. It is our desire that the message you hear today would call you to a closer walk with Jesus Christ, and that your life would give glory to God as you apply the biblical truths proclaimed. For more information about the ministry of Poplar Springs Baptist Church, check us out on the web, www.psbchurch.net. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the preaching of God's Word. If you have a Bible this morning, open it with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And in just a moment, we'll give our attention to verses 10 through 20. Philippians 4, 10 through 20. Before we get to the text... As we continue this morning in our series looking at the church covenant, I want to once more begin by reading for us the proposed covenant that has been presented to you by the elders and then the corresponding summary statements. So uh, listen as I read. The words will be on the screen. Follow along uh, in uh, the church covenant as I share it again this morning. Having been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, And upon our profession of faith and having been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now, in the presence of God, angels, and this assembly, most solemnly, joyfully, and truthfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ and the members of Poplar Springs Baptist Church to make much of God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. We commit to follow, preach, and teach the divinely inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God as the sole rule for our life of faith and practice, rejecting all heretical beliefs and practices, maintaining family and individual devotions in the Word of God, and religiously educating our children and those under our care in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We commit by the divine aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love and live carefully and Christ-like in this world, striving for holiness, repenting of sinfulness, and denying ungodliness. We will be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our daily conduct, yielding our lives solely to the control of the Holy Spirit. We commit to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a local body of believers, faithfully gathering as the church on the Lord's Day and other occasions to sustain the church's worship through proclamation of the word, prayer, praise and song, and practice of the ordinances and discipline. We commit to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministries, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We commit to use the gifts and talents God has blessed us with in service to him and the common good to support our members, ministries, and mission of Poplar Springs Baptist Church. We commit to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior, Jesus Christ, seeking the salvation of our family and friends, neighbors, and the nations by boldly proclaiming the good news of salvation in the name of Jesus Christ alone. We commit to maintain the unity of the Spirit and bond of peace as we submit to one another and our leaders, watch over one another in brotherly love, admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require, remember each other in prayer, aid each other in sickness and distress, Cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and courtesy and speech. Be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the commands and guidance of our Savior to secure it without delay. 
We commit that if in the providence of God we remove from Poplar Springs Baptist Church, we will as soon as possible unite with some other like-minded church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. And the nine corresponding statements with that covenant. We have been gloriously saved by Christ. We will diligently search the scripture. We will passionately strive for holiness. We will faithfully show up with the church. We will generously support the church. We will regularly serve the church. We will openly share our faith. We will humbly submit to others. And we will quickly settle at another church. As we continue on in our series looking at the church covenant this morning, we come to the fifth section of the covenant and our commitment to support the church. Specifically in that section, the covenant says we commit to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministries, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. Our summary statement that captures that expression is the fifth, and it says simply that we will generously support the church. This morning, we are addressing the topic of finances in the church, a topic that is often frowned upon by many. If you're here today and you come with the belief that all the church ever talks about is money, you came on the right Sunday because we're talking about it this morning. But I assure you, come back next Sunday and the focus will shift While this topic within the church has often brought frustration and frowning uh, to many, uh, it shouldn't be that way. And it shouldn't be that way for us this morning here at Poplar Springs. Because if there is an area in which you excel, and there are many in which you do excel at, your giving is certainly at the top of that list or close to the top. You give so faithfully and generously and sacrificially as a church. You do it week in and week out. You do it yearly. You've done it across the years now. And I am so incredibly grateful to you for that. And so I commend you for the way that you give here to the cause of Christ, for the advancement of the kingdom, for the going with the gospel. But it's also an important conversation for us to have this morning and a commitment that we make as members here at Poplar Springs uh, because this topic of finances touches every one of our lives today. Uh, It's a very pertinent subject for our consideration, even more so uh, in the times that we find ourselves living in. Uh, Whether we have a lot or whether we have a little, finances matter to all of us. And they matter to all of us because there is an indispensable connection, uh, an inseparable connection between our faith and our finances. Our, Our giving is a very important spiritual subject. Uh, It's for good reason that that's the case. Uh, We know that as we go to our uh, careers, as we go to our jobs, to our employment throughout the week, uh, we invest a lot of our time, a lot of our energy into earning an income, to securing a paycheck. And in exchange for that paycheck, we secure the resources that we need to help us uh, live in this life, to get through this world. And so in a sense, what we're doing uh, is exchanging our hours, our, our living, if you will, uh, for an income that helps us make it in life. So in some sense, uh, our money is a representation of us because we have so much of ourselves invested in obtaining it. 
And it's because of that, the connection between our finances and who we are, that there's a strong connection between our finances and our faith. And I think this is why Jesus spoke so often about finances and money and wealth. Many have noted that Jesus spoke more about the topic of money than he did heaven or hell combined. Because as we'll see this morning, what we do with our finances, what we do with our income, what we do with our money tells us a whole lot about what's going on in our heart. Jesus knows that and he wants us to know that today as well. And so this morning as we think about being a church and being believers who generously support the church, I want us to look into Philippians chapter 4 verses 10 through 20. Philippians 4, 10 through 20. Now, we've studied the book of Philippians here previously many years ago. We worked our way through it expositionally. And if you can recall that study, and perhaps uh, just from your own Bible study, you know that in the book of Philippians, Paul writes much about joy. It is one of the minor themes that weaves its way all throughout these four chapters in the book of Philippians. And Paul, once again, brings joy uh, in connection with what the church at Philippi and the believers at Philippi are doing with their giving. Paul is letting them know that, hey, you can give joyfully and that they had been giving joyfully. In our text this morning, Paul is commending them. He is praising them uh, in his closing words for their generous support. He's rejoicing at their joyful giving. And there's much that we can learn from their example this morning. So with your Bibles open, follow along as I read and hear the word of God. Philippians chapter 4, starting with verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content... I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me once more? Heavenly Father, we ask now that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word. Father, we ask that in this time that your word would work mightily within us. In the power of your spirit, that you would conform us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we ask now that you would show us your glory, that we would never be the same. Open our eyes that we may see, give us ears that we may hear, and may our hearts be soft to receive what you say today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we think about this morning being a church and being a people 
who commit to generously support the work of the church, the advancement of the gospel, the ministries of the church, what we find in our text today are five results, five results, five effects, if you prefer, uh, that take place in our lives when we give in such a fashion. Five results of giving generously to the support of the church. I want to share them with you this morning. Number one, we find in verse 10. And what we see here is that as we give generously, joyfully, sacrificially, however you wish to describe it, we're expressing our concern. When we give generously, we're expressing our concern. In verse 10, Paul expresses his gratitude to the believers at Philippi. He is rejoicing in the Lord greatly. The gifts that they had sent to him to help him further his missionary endeavors were no small thing for the Apostle Paul. Uh, They resulted in great joy in his life and resulted in him rejoicing greatly in the Lord. Paul said, you have done this again. An opportunity has opened, a door has opened, and you saw, and you took the opportunity, and you have blessed me once more. But at the end of verse 10, Paul says there that they were indeed concerned for me. They were concerned for me. Uh, Paul acknowledges that the believers at Philippi, the church at Philippi, they had a concern born out of their hearts, not only for Paul as the missionary, but for the ministry that Paul had been given by the Lord himself to get the gospel out. And so what we see happening here in the gifts that they sent to the apostle Paul is that they were expressing their heart's desire for him and the gospel. We could say it like this. The Philippian believers gave because they cared for Paul and the ministry of the gospel. Their hearts had been set on it and had been there since day one. When you go back to the beginning of the book of Philippians in chapter 1, as Paul opens the letter there with his his typical uh, expression of, of thanksgiving and gratitude, he thanks them. That from the very beginning of his ministry, from the very first time they met Paul and understood the gospel and what he was doing with the gospel, they were on board. They had hearts that were set on the gospel and giving so the gospel could get out. And what we discover here is that in our giving, our money always follows our hearts. Our money goes where our hearts have settled. This is why Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached here upon this earth. He touches on the topic of finances. He touches on the issue of giving. He he teaches about treasure. And in Matthew 6, 21, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. And what we discover about the Philippian church here in Philippians 4 is that their heart was in the gospel. Their heart was in in getting the gospel out and seeing others come to know Christ. Their hearts were gripped by what God had done in their lives and their giving expressed that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 In verses 7 through 9, the Apostle Paul is writing there to believers in Corinth. And there he's addressing the same topic. He's dealing with the issue of of giving and having hearts that are set on giving. And he tells them in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 8, As you excel in everything, 
in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. It's interesting there that Paul says, man, you guys are doing a good job in faith. Uh, you're doing a good job in proclamation. Uh, you're doing a good job in knowledge. You're, you're doing good in your emotions. You're zealous for the things of God. You're zealous in love for one another as well. But don't forget about this grace also. And the grace that he is calling them to act upon and to see acting in their life is the grace of giving. He adds, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Do you see what Paul is doing there with the believers in Corinth? He, he's saying, I want you to get on board with this act of giving, this grace of giving. And he seeks to motivate them in that, not through compulsion, not through coercion, uh, but rather through the compulsion of the gospel. He says, give because of what Christ has given you. Give because of the grace that Jesus Christ brought to you, that though he was rich, he became poor, so that through him and his poverty, you might become rich. So when we give as the church... And when we give generously as the church, we give not out of co coercion, but compulsion. We're compelled to give because we recognize what Christ has given us in the gospel. We give generously because heaven did not hold back the best that it had. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The only begotten darling of heaven was given for sinners like us. And Paul says when we understand the gospel, one of the ways that it will be manifested in our life as it was in the life of the believers in the church at Philippi is that we will give generously. Our giving expresses our concern. It shows that our hearts have been set on treasure that is not ultimately here on this earth, but there in heaven. So we give generously to express our concern. Secondly, we give generously to foster contentment. To foster contentment. Paul begins in verse 11 to speak personally about his situation. As a missionary taking the gospel to the ends of the earth in his day, Paul faced some very difficult circumstances, some very trying moments. But Paul wanted the believers at Philippi to know that no matter what he faced, he had learned to be content. He said, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to, to abound in any and every circumstance. Paul says, I've learned the secret of having a lot or being hungry, of having abundance or being in need. And that secret is contentment. And it's important that we think about uh, the spiritual uh, contentment that is needed in our lives as we think about giving generously. Because one of the greatest obstacles to giving generously and sacrificially and joyfully as a Christian is living a discontented life. To not be satisfied with what God has given to us, but always want more that this world has to offer. Oh, when we take that approach, it's detrimental to our faith. Paul would write in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. 
That those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And Paul says it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. When we live a discontented life, when we're never satisfied with where God has us and and what God has given to us and we're always wanting more, it's going to be damaging to our faith. And it can lead us away from the faith. I told you many times from this pulpit that innate within every one of us is what I call a wanter. Now, that's not a very technical word, but it speaks to what we have inside. We all have a wanter, and here's what you need to know, and here's what I already know. Your wanter always wants more. Your wanter always wants more. Especially when your wanter wants the things that this world has to offer. Because the things of this world never satisfy. We always want more. You don't believe me? Go buy yourself a new outfit. And see how long it takes before you want another new outfit. And we could extrapolate that to, to any item, to any materialistic possession. And it's not that those things are wrong or bad or having those things are wrong or bad. Don't misunderstand me this morning. But I want you to understand that when we have a discontented life, when we live uh, with discontentment in our hearts, it's going to impact our ability to give generously. So how do we overcome that? How do we put that avenue of the flesh away? Well, we do so by practicing contentment. I know how difficult this is, even for the child of God. The Puritan preacher Jeremiah Burroughs wrote the book. He titled it, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. The Rare Jewel of Christian. You hear in his words how difficult it can be to live a contented life, even in faith. It's a rare jewel that so few possess. But we come to possess contentment when we as believers find that what satisfies is nothing that this world offers, but rather what Christ has offered in Christ himself. And when we realize that all we have is Christ and all we need is Christ, then it frees us to give generously to the cause of Christ. So we think about living a contented life, living with contentment, learning to be content. What we're speaking of is living with a sense of God's adequacy. Contentment is living with a sense of God's adequacy. That God is enough and God is sufficient. This is what David understood when he penned uh, the most familiar opening lines of any of the Psalms. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David is expressing uh, an understanding of God's adequacy. If he is your shepherd, you shall not want. Paul expressed this again to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. He says, for we brought nothing into this world. We can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Oh, we need to remind ourselves this morning that you you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. This world will tell you to get everything that you can. But hear me this morning, it ain't going with you. 
There's no U-Haul behind the hearse. Not one. I'm reminded of the story of a young lady that wrote in to Ann Landers many, many years ago now. She was writing about her uncle, a man who worked very hard all of his life. And uh, for every paycheck that he received, he would take $20 out of it and shove it under the mattress. He did that for years. And then he came to the point of his final days. He knew that death was imminent. And, and he told his wife, he said, upon my death, when you place my body in that casket, he said, I want you to gather all of that money from underneath the mattress that I've, I've hid, hid there and held there over the years and, and put it in the casket. I want to take it with me. The lady told Ann Landers, the wife honored her husband's request. Upon his death, his body being placed in the casket, she gathered all of those funds from underneath the mattress, took it to the bank, put it into an account, wrote a check, and put it in the husband with a casket, put it in her husband's casket. It's not going with you. You can't take it with you. So let us live contentedly in this life with what the Lord has given to us and blessed us with. And let us use any excess and and any that we can spare to the cause of Christ. Third, as we give generously, what we discover is that our giving yields eternal credit. It yields eternal credit. Giving generously to the the cause of Christ, the advancement of the gospel, and getting the gospel out yields returns unlike any other. Paul in verse 13 gives us that great line here in the chapter, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's his secret to contentment. Again, the context of that verse is important. He's talking about that we can do all things. We can face any circumstance because Christ is enough. Christ is sufficient. He he shares that beautiful truth with the Philippians. And then he tells them in verse 14, But you were kind, and you gave to my needs and my troubles once and again. He says, From the very beginning of the gospel, you were there. Even when I left Macedonia, nobody else was partnering with me in giving and receiving except you, even in Thessalonica. You sent me help for my needs once and again. Paul is thanking them for their faithful, continued giving. And Pablo Springs, I want you to know that you do that over and over and over and over again. And I am so thankful for that. You have entered into many partnerships. And that's the wonderful thing that our giving allows us to do. Our Savior has commissioned us to be a people who go who go and make disciples of all nations. But we recognize the reality that not all of us can go to the ends of the earth. Not all of us can go on the mission trip. Not all of us can go into the, the, the areas of ministry. But, but through our giving, we can partner with those that do. It allows our, our ministry base to expand exponentially as we give and invest in kingdom causes and mission work. Paul is saying, this is what you're doing, uh, church at Philippi. This is what you're doing, believers. You're, you're partners with me. And getting the gospel out. And Paul says, because of that, I want you to know that you have eternal rewards that are waiting for you. Randy Alcorn said it well in his helpful little book, The Treasure Principle. He says, while we can't take it with us, we can send it on ahead. We can't take it with us, but we can send it on ahead. And how true and how right he is. 
This is what Paul gets at in verse 17. He, he tells the believers there at Philippi, it's not that I seek the gift. Paul says, I, I'm not moved this morning by selfish ambition or, or personal want in these gifts that you are giving to me. He said, it's not about that. He says, but I'm thankful for your giving and I encourage you in your generous giving to continue for this reason. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Or I seek the profit that is accruing to your account. Oh, Paul here is speaking uh, not about a ledger kept in a bank, but about a bottom line that is kept there in heaven. Paul is telling us that because the Philippian believers gave and gave and gave and supported generously the advancement of the gospel through his ministry, that there were eternal rewards being accounted uh, to them in heaven one day. Oh, what a beautiful truth for us to remember. That as we give to the cause of Christ, as we give generously, we're heeding the words of Jesus again in Matthew 6. We're not laying up for ourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But rather we're laying up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust enter into and thieves don't break in and steal. So we give generously because uh, it allows us to partner with many and it yields eternal credit on our spiritual account. Fourth. As we think about giving generously as a church and committing to that, we do so because our giving worships God. Our giving worships God. In verse 18, Paul writes, I have received full payment and more. Full payment and more. Oh, the church at Philippi, they gave abundantly. They gave more than Paul needed they, they equipped him beyond anything that he possibly could have imagined. And again, Poplar Springs, I see you in this. I see you over the, the almost last 10 years as you've given faithfully to Lottie Moon, to Annie Armstrong, as you give uh, to help us feed children on the weekends, as you bring paper products for the Georgia Baptist Children's Homes, as you, as you give to whatever the monthly mission focus is, Angel Tree coming up in December, you give to help those who are in need in our community. You give, you give, you give full payment and more. You make so many well supplied, and I am so incredibly thankful for that. You'll never know the depths of my heart for how grateful I am for how generous you are. But listen to what Paul says, why that matters. It's not just because needs are being met, but it's also because God is being worshipped. He continues on and he says, I, I'm well supplied, received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Here's what I want to remind you of about your giving this morning at Poplar Springs. That it is not the paying of your dues. But it is your act of worship. That's why we pray and mention the opportunity to give as a part of our worship service. Because we realize this morning that we can make much of God even with our money. And that's no small thing for us here at Poplar Springs. It's no small thing for the believers at Philippi. Paul, as he writes there at the end of verse 18, he, he uses some very exalted language. He, he says, the gifts that you gave that equipped me uh, beyond comprehension. He said, they were a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable, pleasing to God. Paul was very familiar with those words. Because he had used them 
previously. We find that same expression used in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2 by the Apostle Paul. Except in that context, he's not writing there about our giving. But instead there he's writing about what Christ has given for us. He's writing about the sacrifice that Christ has made. He says, let us walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Same language. An echo, a whisper, an illusion. Paul is saying that here we are as believers having the opportunity to give generously. To meet the need to go above and beyond sacrificially and joyfully. And it's an act of worship before God. It's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable, pleasing to God. Paul says, just as Christ gave himself on the cross for our sins, as we give to the cause of Christ and the advancement of the gospel and getting uh, the gospel out, it pleases God. What a wonderful privilege it is to worship God in the act of giving. So let us be a people who commit to generously give. But then fifth and finally, Paul says that we need to to give because in doing so we increase our faith. We increase our faith. Verses 19 and 20, Paul says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I have a good friend as he speaks about the book of Philippians. He refers to it as the book of one-liners. Because there's so many single verses in Philippians that immediately just jump off the page to us. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Philippians 4.13, which we I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And certainly Philippians 4.19 fits that category. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful promise that God gives us. But I want you to know you better use it correctly. Philippians 4.19 is a, a true promise of God. It is God stating that he will supply every need of his child. But within the context of that child giving generously to others. So many people want to pull Philippians 4.19 off the page and and just use it in warped ways. They want to use it to to say that God's going to supply the, uh, the dream car. God's going to supply the dream house. God's going to supply all of their selfish ambitions and desires. It's God's blank check to them. That ain't how it works. There's a context that Philippians 4.19 is set in. And it's set in the concrete of a church that is giving to the cause of Christ. To Christians who are supporting the advancement of the gospel. The ministry of the gospel. And so what we realize is that we can give generously and expect that God will supply faithfully. As we give generously, God supplies faithfully. Isn't that wonderful to know? Isn't it wonderful to know that we can never outgive God? It was Hudson Taylor who launched the, uh, the, the Inland China mission, taking the gospel into the, the heart of China. And he professed and he proclaimed and he modeled in his life that God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. 
I want you to know that if you'll do God's work and do it God's way, God will never fail to supply. He will supply every need according to his riches and glory. That means that God's going to supply personally. Paul says he's my God. God knows what's going on in your life. God knows the need that is in your life. Even as you seek to honor him and give, God knows. He knows. He understands. And he will meet that need. Now, I can't tell you how he's going to meet it because I don't know. And you don't know. But it was a great day in my life spiritually when I decided I'm going to stop trying to figure it out and just trust God. And I want you to know that, man, we face it like you face it sometimes. Some months, some seasons, things are hard, things are strapped, and things are tight. But what I want you to know this morning is that God has always proved true for me. He has never failed, not one single time. And I can't begin to explain the ways that God has done it, but he's never failed. He always comes through. He is a God who supplies personally. And he's a God who supplies liberally every need of yours, Paul says. Every need. God's got it covered. Every need God is aware and God meets as we seek to honor him in our giving. And then God supplies gloriously. He supplies every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I just want to remind you this morning that heaven ain't broke. That the storehouse of heaven is not shut. And the resources that God has at his disposal are far beyond anything that I could exhaust to you today. Because Paul tells us here that as we seek to be a people who honor him in our giving, to give joyfully, cheerfully, sacrificially, generously, if we will give as the Philippians gave here in Philippians chapter 4, God will supply gloriously through his son Christ Jesus. And what a glorious truth that is. Heaven supplies gloriously. So let us be a people who will continue to excel. Let us be a people who continue to commit to giving generously to the support of the church. The advancement of the gospel among our neighbors and the nations. Because of what God has given us in his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. And Lord, we pray that in the power of your spirit, your word would work now within us. To help us to be a people who give generously, faithfully, sacrificially. And Father, I once again express my gratitude and thanksgiving to you for the hearts of your people here at Poplar Springs. Lord, as they have modeled this across the years. And Father, you've been faithful. God, you've met every need. You've supplied above and beyond. And so Father, may our trust and our faith increase all the more. And Father, I pray, Lord, that the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, as we consider the cost, as we consider what heaven gave, Lord, that our hearts 
and our pockets would be open. That we would give because you've given so much to us. Father, help us to be wise and faithful stewards of all that you have blessed us with. That we may make as much of you as we possibly can. In Jesus' name, amen.